Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. I am your host, Matt Moderno, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Larry Hughes. Larry, how are you this week? I'm doing good, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, for everybody listening here, we're joined this week by Sam Decker. Sam was a parade All-American, two-time, uh, two second-team All-Big Ten, took down a juggernaut 38-0 Kentucky team, was the West Region's most outstanding player, the 18th pick in the 2015 NBA draft, and Played in the NBA from 2015 to 2019, and hopefully will again here soon, and most recently played with the Washington Wizards. So it's obviously uh, why we wanted to have you on, and, and Sam, you were really well-liked here in your time in D.C. Personally, I wish that had been a lot longer, so maybe that uh, works itself out again here, but how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate that. Um, thanks for having me on, guys. But yeah, I like D.C. a lot. I like the Wizards. Wizards fans or showed us a lot of love, and uh, yeah, hopefully it's it's not over there. I, we really enjoyed our time, and uh, it's a great place to play. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll obviously get into the Wizards stuff a little bit, but first thing we wanted to ask you about here, uh, you had quite the adventure getting home uh, this season. You were playing uh, in Russia. We just wanted to hear a little bit about what that what that journey was like. Yeah, um, you know, as a whole, it was a really eye-opening experience for me. Uh, helped me grow up, uh, not just you know, physically, but mentally and emotionally, you know, go through a new, a new, new change of scenery, um, a new country, new form of basketball. Uh, it's, it's different over there, man. And, you know, getting home um, was tough because obviously, you know, you want to end the season, you know, we're second in our league. We want to, you know, get to the playoffs and, and show that, you know, we can win our league, but you, you get a call in the morning saying you got to get to the airport in an hour, you know, they're, they're closing all the borders. You got to get home. Um, kind of turn basketball off in your brain and you, you worry about getting home to your family and friends and uh, getting out of there safe. So it was, it was a close call, but a uh, 40-hour travel day got me home. Sam, did you, did you have your, your family there with you while you were over there? Uh, so my wife, Olivia, she flew out there with me, um, you know, to get out there. Uh, she stayed there for two weeks with me. Um, and then she's a, you know, college football reporter in the fall. So she had to be home. You know, she was calling games all, you know, every week. And then did uh, Big Ten basketball as well. So she only got to go out there two or three times. Uh, she met me in Turkey for a week one time, and we had a tournament there. Uh, but other than that, um, you know, she only made it a few times. And then uh, we met in Paris for New Year's, which was very nice because uh, that was kind of easy for everyone. Not easy, but you know, it's a direct flight from Chicago. She could get out there. And then I actually had my trainer, uh, my trainer Jake, who I uh, lift with all off season. He came out for three months, which was awesome. Uh, just kind of keep me sane, someone to, you know, watch movies with and stuff and, you know, go, go grab a bite with. So uh, it was great to have him out there and, uh, you know, fill my, fill my time a little bit. It's always good to have some family 
Yeah, it's 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 um, not yeah. easy, you know, being so far away. Time zone changes. You know, you're talking to people when they're getting up and you're going to bed. So it's 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 different. It takes uh kind of takes a toll on you, but you gotta once you get in the rhythm, it, it definitely helps. Does the league you were playing in limit the amount of Americans you can have on a team, Sam? Uh, no. Um, so the VTB is um, it, it is a league with a lot of imports. So, you know, I played against at least 10 to 15 guys that I had been playing in the NBA over the past few years. Um, probably 15 guys I saw in the Big Ten. Um, so a lot of Americans, a lot of good players. Um, you know, VTB's got uh, four EuroLeague teams, three Euro Cup teams. So there's, you know, it's it's the, right now the second rated domestic league in the world uh, behind the NBA. So it was good competition night in and night out, which was fun. And, you know, speaking to Americans and, and you can kind of talk trash, you know, in a friendly way with, with Americans is nice. So um, that was, it was a good league to be a part of for my first experience out here. Obviously, you know, I want to be in the NBA. That's where I feel I belong, but um, you've got to make the best of that situation. And it's one of those things, the, if you think about the NBA every day, you're going to not excel where you are. And, you know, so you kind of had to, you know, take a slice of humble pie and, and go and do your job, you know? So would part of that be, I mean, just going over there, is that like, you know, is that the love of the game? Is that, you know, obviously you're, you're a young guy, so you have a, a lot of years left in the game, but what pushes you to, you know, go overseas for, for that opportunity? Yeah, honestly, um, just, a year of stability is it, huge. You know, I've been part of four trades that are kind of out of my control. And, you know, that's, it's hard. Larry, you played for multiple teams. You know, you know how hard it is to, you know, even if you feel like you're, you know, a great player, going to a new situation, meeting new teammates, trying to impress new coaches, new fans, you know, that's, it's, it's not easy. And I was doing it mid season twice. And, you know, you're trying to fight your way into the rotation and, and, and make, you know, relationships with teammates. Um, and then, so when I got a call last summer, you know, Locomotive in, in, in Russia is, is, you know, offering a, a, a good contract to play there for a year and to, you know, have the same court under your feet for a whole year. Um, you know, what do you think about that? And I, I saw that as kind of a good opportunity just to, to know I'd be a big part of the team and um, just get out there and play and, and feel like I'm not going to get traded at any moment. Yeah, for me, I mean, I think like, you know, as a, as a former player and just talking about just being comfortable in your environment and having the ability to be somewhere for, you know, more than one season, if not the full season is, is very important. So it's like sometimes we look at the player and say, oh, that player's not good. But, you know, a, a lot of times, more often than not, we have to look at the situation that that player has dropped into. And I think that that's, you know, really true in, in your situation and and. You know, it's good that the game is so big now you can find those opportunities. But, you know, from from, you know, from this side of the table, you know, we can't always look at, you know, what the athlete is doing. You have to look at, you know, what's surrounding and, and, and that environment. Absolutely. And I think uh, Kevin Durant was on a show last week and he was saying he gets mad when he sees on Twitter people say like, oh, so and so is horrible. And, you know, Larry, yeah. you're in the NBA, you're not a bad basketball player. And a lot of times, situation, I've, I've had guys that don't play a minute in practice and open gym are the, some of the times the best player on the floor, but they don't fit in that certain style, you know, that the coach needs. And uh, so there's no slouches, you know, in the league. And, um, you know, some, some places I felt like I fit great. Other places was a little more, little more tough. You know, in L.A., you know, Doc has an amazing system. Um, and for some reason, I wasn't good 
there. I wasn't comfortable, you know, every night the way that we played. And, you know, we're in Houston and Washington. I felt like I could slide in and fit in every night, you know, and it's, it's crazy how that works, you know, to the normal fan, it just looks like basketball, but as a player, sometimes mentally it's, 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 it's so different. Is that on the court stuff, Sam, or is it a combination of both? Like just gelling with the guys and the coaching staff too? Um, I, you know, I think it's top down. Um, I think every organization, you know, starts from the top down, whether it's the top dog on the, on the roster or, you know, the head coach, uh, front office, you, you name it. Um, you know, the kind of culture like Houston, you know, they have that laid back approach. Coach D'Antoni has pulled me out of games for not shooting enough threes. So it's like, you know, when you're out there, you can, you can fire. And so you miss three or four, he look at you like, shit, shoot the next three, you know, and, and that gives you a lot of confidence. Whereas some other coaches, you know, they value those possessions so much that sometimes you're kind of a little more careful. And, um, you know, and, you know, Coach Brooks in, in Washington, he was the same mindset. Just just go, Sam, go use your speed, use your athleticism, just go. And um, having a coach like that, you know, gives you a lot of confidence. So uh, it's a little bit of both with the with the off court, on court type of thing. And just having communication with, with coaches, with teammates. Um, like, like I said, going into a new place midseason isn't always easy. So I think it's nicer when you get, can get a training camp with the guys and uh, just kind of flow into the season like that and, and improve your worth. So has there been one guy that you've met, you know, over, over your journey uh, with, with the multiple teams that's kind of, you know, stayed in contact, making sure you're in a good headspace? Um, is there, you know, any one guy that, that's done that younger old? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say Pat Beverly's one for sure. Uh, Trevor Ariza, he was my vet. I think everyone has a relationship with Trevor, it seems like, but uh, Trevor still checks in on me. You know, I was in uh, Houston and uh, D.C. with him and Blake Griffin. Uh, Blake was really good to me when I was in L.A., and he always checks in on me every few weeks when I was over there. Uh, so having guys like that, relationships like that, that they'll – selflessly checking on you knowing it's it's a weird time you know that means a lot so yeah those are guys that uh, were always really good to me um, and even guys in DC I still hear from John Wall and Brad sometimes uh, so it's always good to hear from those guys and Pat Beverly can relate to that uh, you know the having to go overseas and, and kind of yep. you know work on some stuff and, and come yep. back to try to get some opportunities yeah, and, and he played he played in St. Petersburg he played in the VTB league um, yeah so Pat knows knows very well like he actually played with uh Milos Teodosic who we played in LA with so those guys know the European game um you know Pat you know I think he has a soft spot for guys that go over to Europe so um you know he's got that he's got the mentality and you can tell now when now that he's back in the states he's not going to let that slip obviously we're talking about you know playing overseas and, and you know what you bring to the table what, what do you feel like is what you need within your game or, you know, what's give you that, that other opportunity, you know, that next opportunity to make it back, you know, to the NBA. I know you said that's your ultimate goal. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you feel that you need to add or, or you're, you're adding right now? Well, it's just definitely the consistency from three, man. And, and it's one of those things that like, once you know your weaknesses, you know, or know your shortcomings, you know, those are things you got to attack. And for me, it's, it's, it, it was is a multitude of things with with my jump shot in Houston. I shot what thirty four percent from three, which you know isn't high enough. Obviously, I wanted to get there. I think I'm a, a better shooter than that. And I had one cold spell that brought me down. Cleveland, I was at thirty nine percent. You know, last year in the thirties again. And you know, so that's kind of been the knock on me 
team talking to teams last summer, they were they were saying, you know, Sam can run, he can jump, he can defend, but we need a guy that can that we can rely on to hit that corner three, you know, coming into the game for 15 minutes, hit two or three threes and play good defense. And, you know, sometimes Sam has it, sometimes he doesn't. So it's one of those things that, um, you know, that I know it, I'm not too proud to admit it. And um, it's one of those things that I just need to keep showing and keep, um, you know, just rep after rep after rep. You know, I know I can shoot the ball, but I gotta, I gotta prove that I can shoot the ball when I'm not playing 35 minutes. If I'm playing 12 to 17 minutes, I got to be able to shoot, you know, 40 to 45 percent in those minutes. So uh, that's gonna be big for me. Yeah, that's a skill. That, that I mean, that 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 is a skill. Um, you know, so don't think that that's something that you you know you can't work on or something that won't happen for you. That that's definitely a skill is to understand that I'm not getting the 35. I'm only getting the 12, but I have to be just as efficient. I mean, from player to player, you know, I struggle with you know, being comfortable in that rhythm. You know, once you get in the rhythm, then you can knock shots down. But if the minutes aren't there, it's, it's kind of tough to get that rhythm. But exactly. it's good that you you understand yeah. that. Exactly. Because, yeah. you know, I, I know guys like Kyle Korver, who I feel like everyone's played with, he's got he's that rare breed that can play eight minutes or 28 minutes, and his shot is going to be in rhythm every time. And, it's you know, that's a rare, rare guy. And so he's a guy I tried to take a lot of nuggets from, just like, you know, what is your mentality when you're coming into the game and, you know, getting into your rhythm? So uh, just trying to learn little things like that to come in and feel warm for your first shot is, is really important. You hit a lot of clutch threes in college, too. So, you, I mean, obviously it's a different line, but, you know, you've shown that you can make them in, in big situations. And, and yeah. part of, you know, what Larry was just saying is the the rhythm and, and just I got to imagine a lot of that for you guys, just confidence and, hey, you know, I know this coach knows me, knows I can make it. I'm not going to get pulled if I miss two in a row or you know, chance to play through it. Yeah, that, you know, that's a big thing. Um, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier uh, in L.A., Doc, one of the greatest, greatest coaches of all time, um, and I have a good relationship off the court. We, we gelled really well, but I, I always felt like if I missed one or two, you know, came in and missed my first couple, uh, I could feel it, you know, I could, I could feel it a little bit and, and like, oh, it's not Sam's night, you know, so I'm playing eight minutes, you know, and, and, but if I hit that first one, he could leave me out there for 20 and, and that's the way he coaches because he always has a deep bench and that, and that's great. And some nights it was my night. Uh, whereas D'Antoni, I knew four minute mark in the first quarter, just walk to the scores table, you know, and, and coming out with seven minutes left in the second, you know, I got my nine minutes each half right there. And so I knew you know, if I hit one or two in there, he's going to extend it a little bit, you know, so every coach is different. And when you get comfortable like that and know what to expect every night, your job becomes much easier. But when it's, when it's bouncing from five to 25 minutes, you never know. So uh, it's all about having that, that rhythm, like Larry said, and, and knowing what to expect from the coach. And, um, you know, sometimes you're going to get it. Sometimes you're not. Well, Sam, t- toughest part of the game, mental or physical? Oh, mental, easily mental. You know, the game physically, um, you know, obviously I, I was blessed being 6'9 and athletic. So, you know, being able to guard, you know, one through five. So that stuff is, is natural for me. And the ball handling stuff, that stuff's natural. But the mental part of the game, one, for like an 82-game season is, is a lot. But two, just, just the pressure that, you know, people don't realize the pressure we put on ourselves, you know. I, I don't know if you can attest to that, but – you know, I've, I've had teammates, I've seen teammates break down. I've had breakdowns, you know, we're making a lot of money, but at the end of the day, it's what you love. And you put so much pressure on yourself to perform and you compete with yourself every night. 
So sometimes, you know, that mental part gets to you and you need a reset sometimes. Sometimes you need a good cry or you need a good, you know, outlet at times. Um, and I don't think any of us are too manly to admit that, you know, it, it takes a toll on you. So mentally, I think, I think the NBA and all professional sports is really tough. Yeah, and, and that's, again, that's, I, I work with a bunch of, you know, young kids and young people that are, you know, obviously on their, their journey to whatever success that they'll, you know, that they'll make it to, whether it's the NBA, whether it's overseas, whether it's the corporate world. And that's entirely the message is, is you have to be physical, you have to have those tools, but your mental makeup and your mental uh, attributes is going to be huge in, in how successful, you know, mm -hmm. you can be. And that's all about, a, you know, that's all a part of the passion. You know, having passion for the game and, and, you know, loving what you do. Yeah. And I, and I think you, right now we're in a weird place where um, at any moment you can go on your phone and see what anyone thinks about you. And some guys can handle that and some guys that you struggle with. And you even see now some superstars are struggling with what people say on, on Twitter, Instagram, what have you. Um, and, you know, I've been in that boat as well. And people come at you, you know, and then the next night you can play well and everyone loves you. And, you know, so those highs and lows can really take its toll on you. Um, you know, you can score 20 points one night and you're, you know, you're riding high. 24 hours later in the NBA, you can have two points and people are saying how bad you are. So you got to be able to either eliminate that or not let that get you too high. And low. you got to stay in that middle uh, because too high or too low is, is, is pretty damaging. Uh, you talked about the three-point shooting a little bit. Um, so this year while you were playing um, in, in Russia, was that a big focus on your game, making like shooting threes, making threes, showing teams that you can make that? Yeah, or? for sure. Um, but this is the thing that I learned uh, in, in Europe. We had three coaches this year. We had three head coaches this year in 40-something games. So, you know, you lose two or three in a row. You know, you lose two in a row in the NBA. It's, come on, guys, let's go, you know, let's get back out there. You have another game in 48 hours in Russia or in, in Europe. Sometimes you've one game a week. So it's like, it's like football where like every game is do or die. You know, you're, you're having two days, you're watching film for four straight days, some stuff I've never gone through. So, you know, you, we lost four or five at one point and fired our coach and our first coach I had a good relationship with, you know, I was able to, I was playing 30 plus minutes and we kind of all had the green light, which is nice. We bring in a new coach, uh, very NBA-like, easy practices, flowing system, but, you know, sub substitutions were boom, 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 and then fired him. And then we get a new coach who was, you could have swore you played for Indiana in the 80s. Like you're, you know, we playing through the five, every trip down, floppy set, throw it to the post, let him go to work. So you have to find times where you can get shots up. It's, it's crazy. Some nights I was taking 18 shots. Some nights I was taking three. So it's, uh, you never know what to expect with the European game. Um, but when you, sometimes you're like, wow, I, I, we travel back in time. We're playing 1986 right now. So uh, there's some <laughs> nights that were great, some nights that weren't. But that's, like I said, you just got to stay with flow and uh, ride that wave. Were you able to get communication as far as evaluation from, you know, general managers, scouts, um, you know, are you in constant contact just throughout, you know, every game or is it week by week basis? How does that communication as far as to making sure that you're staying on the radar of, of scouts and, and general managers? And that's a big thing. Um, you know, obviously you, your agents have so many clients, you know, in the NBA or wherever, but you want your agent to be like, don't forget about me. You know, I'm over yeah. here 
trying to get to my next step. So don't forget about me. So, you know, I was in constant contact with uh, my agency, you know, probably every week, um, just checking in, you know, they whether, and if they didn't hear from me, they're always calling me, you know, what's going on, what's going on. Uh, they're watching every game, taping every game, sending it to teams after every game. Um, so knowing they did that was, it was important. And they yeah, they would call me with feedback. You know, so-and-so you know, has been watching, they've been impressed. So you've had a hot start. So-and-so has, has been really, we're going to, we're going to push them hard this summer. So yeah, uh, we've gotten some feedback, you know, there's, I've seen that, you know, teams in, in, in the States have a list of guys that they want to keep tabs on. And I, you know, I know I've been one of them. So there's a lot of good players in Europe, but hopefully uh, some teams, you know, have taken notice and, um, you know, we can get something done. But right now, who knows with all this virus stuff and what teams are even looking for right now. So, uh, but that's why you have agents. That's why people calling for you and uh, just, just staying positive, keep working. Tommy Shepard has been promoted with the Wizards to to now he's the the head GM uh, since since you were with the team. What was your relationship with with Tommy like, and what do you think about that uh, you know promotion? Yeah, I was really happy for Tommy, um, the Wisconsin guy. He's, he he loves the state, and uh, we had a good relationship when I was there. Uh, when when I got traded there, he called me right away. Uh, he was excited, and you know he was he was one of those guys that you could tell he was proud to have his title, proud to have his job. Then he was at practice every day, um, you know, always talking with the guys, whether we were losing games, winning games, you know, he's trying to check in on guys, always checking in on Olivia. Uh, so just, you know, all in all, good guy. Um, and that's the kind of guy you want running your team, just to have someone that isn't afraid to talk to players, whether good or bad. And um, so I was happy to see he got the promotion. Obviously wasn't happy to see uh, they went in the other direction with me, but um, you know, those relationships are, are, you know, good to have and good lasting relationships to keep, um, you know, even in the heat of the moment, you don't want to do something that you're going to regret down the line because uh, things can always come back around. So, uh, no, I was happy to, for Mr. Shepard and hopefully uh, they can see some success soon. Uh, any thought to playing in the, the G League at all? Was that ever on the table for you just to stay a little more in people's attention or, or not? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't see myself as a G League player. Um, you know, I would never played in the G League when I was in the NBA. Obviously, I was there for five games my rookie year rehabbing an injury. But other than that, that was never on my radar then. And I don't – from what I've heard from teams, uh, they value the European competition and playing against, you know, high-level experienced pros more than the G League sometimes. Because, you know, you, you know you, I respect a lot of the guys in the G League, but, you know, some guys shouldn't be having 50, 16, and 8 in a game in the, in the G league. I, I just don't know how much you're going to get out of that every night. Um, some of the numbers these guys are putting up is insane. Uh, so, so, you know, nothing, no, no disrespect, but I'm just, uh, you know, I, I want a product that, you know, that is super competitive, uber competitive every night. Um, and the, and the packed out venues that you get in Europe is, is really good for experience. Uh, so right now, you know, I'm enjoying the competition over here and hopefully that pays off for, you know, a contract here in the, in the near future. Well, I think that that's, you know, you're looking at it from, uh, you know, from a business decision as opposed to a knock on the talent. So I think that that's a very uh, smart way to look at it, you know, from a business perspective, but what's the next step? Um, so, you know, no G League guys are going to feel slighted, you know, for those comments. It's just a matter of, of what you feel the best, or what the best business practice is to actually reach your goal. So that's, that's, that's solid. 
No, absolutely. And like I said, I, there's there's many guys that make that jump from the G League to the NBA. I'm not saying that it's not possible. You know, I know a lot of guys that can really go get, go get buckets in the in the in the G League. Um, I'm just saying that in terms of venue and and yeah, and just opportunity and you know, there's some really really good talent out there uh, out out in Europe and and some really passionate fans. And it's it's fun. There's a lot of times where you're like, man, it wasn't even this loud in the NBA. But um, but yeah, but we'll, we'll see what happens down the line here. You know, I'm never going to say never on basketball. You know, I could end up in G League for a stint here or there. Who knows? Uh, but obviously, you know, you got to set your eyes on, on your main goal right now. Uh, it's always interesting to hear for me as a non-basketball player. Um, so, you know, what kind of drives these decisions and part of Part of going overseas is there's some language difference and there's some cultural differences. So I, I would think there's one appeal of the G League is at least, you know, the culture. But um, how, how was Russia in terms of making that transition? It, it, was, it was tough in a lot of ways. Um, and that's another reason why guys will stay, you know, in the States. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not an easy transition. A lot of these guys have families they don't want to leave. I get that. You know, that those situations are are tough to leave. And I, I totally understand that um, in every way. Um, it was not easy for me all the time. You know, I had a lot of anxieties sometimes just being in my apartment in Russia, like, what is going on, man? Like, where, where am I? You know, I really can't understand people, a uh, whole different alphabet, language, um, ways of life. Uh, but that's where being young helps and having an open mind helps. Um, I'm pretty personable. So you can try to get to know people and, you know, just try to find uh, good people that will help you and have you in their corner. And, you know, and having good teammates helps and a good organization, a respected organization. So, and then having my buddies out there help for sure. Just kind of getting out, uh, finding new spots, finding new places to go. And once you kind of try to make a place a home, uh, no matter how short you are there, it, it definitely helps. So I, we made the transition okay. It was, it was actually cool. Seeing some of the places in Russia is actually really cool and uh, all around Europe. And so to check off some places that I'd never been, is, it was pretty sick. Yeah, man, allow, allow that basketball to take you as many places as, as they can take you, man, and, and accept it, appreciate it. You know, I've, I've gained a lot of respect for you uh, just over this short time of just perspective and, and yeah. you know, your journey and understanding where you're trying to go. So, you know, never, you know, never stop that ball from bouncing until, right. you know, it, it, it deflates for you. So just keep it, keep it going. For sure. And I appreciate that. It's one of those things like, you know, there's some bad days over there. You have some bad days, you know, like, you know, is this worth it? You miss my family, miss my dog, you know, just things like that. Like how much longer can I really do this? But, you know, I, I've, I've been telling myself as long as I still have more good days than bad days, that means I still love the game. And I've had way more good days than bad days. So that's, you know, I, I don't see myself stopping anytime soon, but I have a question for you, Larry. Yep. As, as, as a player, when do you know it's time? When did you know it was time? Uh, for me, I knew it was time when I wasn't interested in doing the road work. You know, and that road work is, you know, three or four o'clock in the morning, getting out of bed, getting a couple miles in, you know, strength and condition training. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt myself when I started to push, you know, that clock back or, you know, start at five, start at six or start at mm -hmm. 10 then I knew that that passion for the work was, was starting to go away. And my family played a role in that as well, is that they were going through, um, you know, my daughter were getting ready to start uh, middle school and yeah. 
you know, just the experience of all the things that I've heard, you know, of, of young girls, you know, going to school and all the stuff that they deal with. I wanted to be there yeah. for her and be there mm -hmm. for the kids. So it was a combination of me putting, you know, that hard work that got me to that point, you know, continues to push that back. And then also, am I of more value in another place in my house than yeah. I am on the basketball court? Right. So I just looked at what the value that I could bring, you know, not only to a team, you know, but also, you know, what sort of value I could bring to my, right. my family. And what was that year 12, 13, 14? Was, or, or? Uh, that was probably year 11, 10, yeah. you know, we're probably year, 11. Yeah, where September comes around, you're like, training camp, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, more. because it starts early, man. You know, I mean, the work, it, the work is never done. I mean, you know, yeah. you talk about unseen hours and the things that, you know, your fans and people yeah. don't get a chance to see. Like, that work is, that's the gruesome work. So, yeah. Um, you want to feel value, you want to feel validated, but you know, that's the, that's when you know that it's time. I mean, it used to be guys go to training camp to get in shape. And now if you don't come to training camp in shape, you better come correct. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, yeah. I think Miami, they have, like, if you, you can't start training camp unless you pass a physical, a yeah. physical test. And it's like in seventies, eighties, that's, Guys don't guys aren't coming to training camp in the best shape of their life. And you know, so you're working in May and June to be ready for two days in September. It's it's one of those things. Yeah. It's the whole it, it's never it's whole it's all flipped. And it, it's you, mean, you know what's you know what's changed also is that a lot of guys now just you know, just the training environment has changed, the strength and conditioning environment has changed. Mm -hmm. Um so you you know, when I was coming in and going to training camp, you knew there was nothing that you could do that was going to prepare you for training camp. Yeah. I mean, no matter how many miles you ran, I mean, how many weights you've lifted, how many games you tried to play, how many lines you ran, you were not going to be prepared for training camp. And yeah. There was no way. But now with all of this specialized training and performance and working, you know, the yeah. very, very small muscles, yeah. you guys get a chance to, you know, to get in better shape before, yeah. you know, before you have to be and in now, shape. Now they have like a 90 minute cap. You can't be on the court more than 90 minutes. So, and then I think it's, I think it's uh, 120 minutes for a whole day. So you can have a 190 minute in the morning and then a 30 minute in the afternoon. So like, you know, the Players Association has really lengthened guys' careers, I think a little bit, yeah. you know, yeah. and especially with all the miles we put on now in AAU and yeah. you know, travel ball as a youngster, you know, think about all the hoop that you've played and I, and, you know, and then going for four hours in training camp, it's just not good for guys' bodies. And now you see guys, you know, 38 years old, still playing at a high level. Uh, I think uh, it all attributes to that load management. Yep. I was a part of the, you know, four or five, two a days in a row before you get one session off. So, yeah, I, I completely know exactly what you're talking about, man. Yeah. Who ran the hardest training camp for you? Uh, I'd say the Bulls really? uh, ran the hardest training camp. I mean, they had some testing and stuff that, that you needed to do before you Is could Eric actually uh, participate. Yeah, Eric was there. Yep, yep. Eric, Eric was there. Um, but yeah, that was that was one of the toughest toughest training camps I've been to. Uh, Philadelphia was tough uh, my first year because we were in lockout, so we had a had to push the pace up. So that was very very tough training camp my first year uh, in the yeah. NBA with uh, Larry Brown. Mm -hmm. Well, Larry's old school too, from what I've heard. So he's he 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 doesn't want to hear the excuses and and everything. And uh, yeah. oh no. 
Oh, no. Oh, no. You guys, I wouldn't say you guys have it easy these days, but, you, do. you know, those old school, those old school coaches, man, they, uh, they went yeah. by a lot of the old school rules. Man, D'Antoni and Doc, two guys that love yeah. short practices. Short yeah. practices, man. D'Antoni, his practices were amazing. It was like 10 minutes of defensive walkthrough and then yeah. like 16, 18 minutes on the clock for it'd be like a three-man set for like dribble drive, kick out three, layup, kick out three. It was like, then he's like, get shots up if you want, but let's go. And it was, it, it was unbelievable, but it worked. So I have a little story about D'Antoni and how relaxed he is, okay? So I was in New York with D'Antoni, and, I mean, we had a bunch of guys that were on, you know, one-year deals or expiring contracts. So the expectations of us winning games, I mean, it wasn't very high. I mean, when you put a team like that together. Yeah. So we, you know, we had practice out in White Plains. That was where the practice facility is yeah. at. But we would have shoot-around at the Garden. And some guys, you know, they lived in White Plains, and they would travel down back and forth. So I started to track how long D'Antoni's shoot-arounds were because it took at least 30 minutes to get from White Plains down to, down to Madison Square Garden. So the shortest shoot-around we had with Mike D'Antoni in New York was eight minutes. Eight. That doesn't it, it was eight minutes from the time we walked on the court to the time we got back into the locker room. It was eight minutes. Larry, we and, stopped having shoot around. Yeah. He yeah. at one time he went to James and said, um, how do you feel about not doing shoot around? Yeah. James is like, so like on back to backs? And he's like, No. We've won, I think we were like nine and zero on back to backs. He's like, We've won every game on a back to back without without a shoot around. What if we just got rid of them? And he's like, Sure, why not? Let's try it. So he tried it for a week and he said, If you guys go, if you win three of your next four, we'll have no more shoot around the rest of the year. We want all four. <laughs> so yeah, he he's so laid back. I remember one point I you know I, I started the year like real good and I went through a lull as we all do. It was like two weeks. I was shooting like twenty percent from three. I was you know thinking about it. So I walk in his office. His door's always open. I walk in his office. His feet are up. And I was uh sat down. My coach, you know, am, am I doing something? Am I overthinking it? Am I? You see something with my shot, with my form, and it's something. Uh, I just don't know if I'm in a rhythm. And he just looks at me. He just puts his book down. He's like, shit, Sam. You're a good basketball player. Just go shoot the, go shoot the damn ball. And then, <laughs> then he goes, he goes, enough about this basketball stuff. How's your life? How, how, you know, how, how's, how's the family? How's this? And like, I was just, it just hit me. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I've never had a coach that's just so like, dude, you're good. You're a good basketball player. Go play. And like. Yeah. It just like yeah. took a weight off my shoulders, and he knew that's what I needed. You know, he knew I'm a guy that expects a lot of myself, and he just needed me to just like, hey, chill, you're good, and uh, that definitely helped. He's he's great with that stuff. That's what's up. That's what. That's probably why he's still around today. As much yeah. as people talk about him and talk negative about him, I mean, that's that's probably why he's still around today. Is because you know the players that you know the, the players will play for him because of that attitude. He, he loves his guys, and I I, I truly think all coaches do. Um, you know, they all treat them differently, but I think all coaches, they take pride in their guys. And, yeah. you know, as much as, you know, you have coaches that you can yell back at, you have coaches that, you know, you can only talk to on the side, whatever, but, you know, they want, you know, they wouldn't be coaches if they didn't care about their players and they yeah. show it in different ways. But, you know, once you form that relationship, you, you get to understand. Yeah. Yeah. So is that just respect for, for your players that they'll be professional enough to do what they need to do and, and not, you know, not forcing it? 
I think so. I, again, me and Larry played in kind of different roles, I mean, kind of overlap, you know, towards the 2010s. But, you know, he was in the early 2000s where it might have been a little different, you know, like the George Carls of the world, Larry Browns of the world. But, you know, I think nowadays, you know, that respect and, you know, understanding people's mentals and that stuff, I think it plays a little more of a role. Uh, so I can't speak on what Larry went through, but I think a lot of coaches have been good about having that open door policy now. And if you have concerns or guys getting time off because they need a mental break, you know, you know, I think a little more cognizant of that now. Yeah, I just think the world is smaller now with, you know, just a lot of information out there about their players and their guys. Sometimes if a player's struggling, you may not know it. You know, back in the day, you may not know it because that player just didn't say anything. You know, but now you have social media and things of that nature. So, you know, they may get wind of that. You know, they may get wind of that. So it's, a, it's an easier way to have conversations. So there's a little bit of difference. Yeah, I think so, for sure. But, Larry, do you, uh, you take pride in all the St. Louis guys? They're, 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 St. Louis is on the map right now in the NBA. There's a lot of good players right now. Yeah, I, I do, man. I, I do. You know, I, I um, you know, feel like I'm the the forefather of, of, of a lot of, yeah. you know, a, a lot of that of St. Louis basketball. I mean, we go and talking to a guy here, you know, I've been around the NBA for, you know, for 20 years at least, you know, and I've represented, you know, St. Louis and tried to bring, you know, the eyeballs back to St. Louis, you know, for as long as I've been around, been around the game. So it's now starting to pay off and getting, you know, a couple guys every year to drop into the draft. And, you know, we want to get up there with, with California and, and, you know, Chicago and those guys, man, we're trying to get, you know, we're trying to get bodies in the league. So, you know, we can get more and more kids and, you know, more and more, you know, inspiration, but for the, for the most part, we're just looking to, you know, really inspire people to be their best, right? Yeah. If it's the NBA, just be your best. The game is a, is a fun game to play, especially nowadays when you're making so much money. Yeah, know? yeah, for sure. And and I think one thing with all the St. Louis guys in the league right now, like, like they all got good heads on their shoulders too. And I think it helps when you got a guy like Brad, who's kind of at the forefront now, kind of taking, you know, that leadership and he's such a good dude. You all know Brad, you know, yep. and you know, guys like Jason and, and you know, so it's cool to have like not a small city. St. Louis is not a small city, but it's not, you know, New York, it's not LA. So to have, you know, guys like that put it on the map and like you who have been good people, good character, I, I think that that shows shows good. You know, and I think that's how I am with uh, you know, Wisconsin's got different. My guy was Devin Harris and Michael Finley, you know, like yeah, yeah. two good dudes. And, you know, so people love having those two at the forefront and they take pride in those guys. So, like, uh, just, you know, now trying to be one of those guys. I was, a, you know, an in-state kid, played at Wisconsin. You know, guys like Frank, too, Kaminsky, and guys around the league now that you play with from Milwaukee area and stuff, you know, you just try to put on for your hometown, home state, and not act a fool, you know? Yep, yep, because you know what? You guys are having camps, and we all have camps back in our hometown. And there's a seven-year-old kid, an eight-year-old kid, you know, that in 10 years, you'll be looking at them and they're on somebody's television, you know, yeah. talking about how you inspired them to keep yeah. going or how they went to your camp, you know, way back when, you know, yeah. and that's when, you know, that's when the fruit comes. Oh, for sure. For sure. Basketball short, but, you know, having an impact, I think can last a long time. And I've learned that from a lot of guys now in around the NBA that, you know, seeing the off-court stuff last longer. And, uh, you know, those little stories can, can last a long time. Not to get too sentimental, but, you know, you got to outreach with, with the basketball. It's crazy. You get an outreach. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know. One of the things from the fan perspective, I think for us, it's it's always easier to root for guys or guys for your favorite teams when when you you've heard stories or you have anecdotes about like, hey, this is a nice guy. Like you know, it's um, when you have an interaction with someone and and they're you know, they're engaged or they're, they're, they're into it. Like you just, you, you commit to that more, you know, and, I've gotten, and for that. yeah, I've gotten in a little trouble at times cause I'm a little like too sarcastic on social media sometimes. And so people will think I'm like, like a jerk. They, they think I'm kind of asshole. And, um, and then they meet me in person or they meet me, you know, after a game or something, or someone will shoot me a direct message and I'll respond and they'll be like, Oh my gosh, like you're a normal dude. I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm sarcastic. Cause we are all yeah. normal dudes. And you know, I have fan, I'm, I'm a fan of teams. I'm a fan of actors and actresses and stuff, just like everyone else. And I think it's helped me now to show that side of me, like on a social media. Cause people are like, Oh, I can see that Sam plays video games. Oh, I can see that, you know, Sam likes the green Bay Packers just like me. And I think that's important. And I think social media has helped that fan to player interaction to where they know, all right, we have feelings just like you guys. And I think that's been, I think that's been big for some guys, myself included. Yeah. As a part of doing this podcast, I think one of the first couple questions I get from people isn't even about, Oh, what do you guys talk about? Or what do you do? It's what kind of guy is Larry is, is, you know, he sounds nice on the podcast. What's he like? And I'm not just saying this because he's obviously here doing this podcast right now, but but Larry's like unbelievably humble and, and just like nice to be around and, and easy to talk to. And yeah. um, that, that just makes this more fulfilling for me. And then I convey that to people and that makes people want to listen and, and be, be into it too, I think. And that's for me too. Like I, I grew up watching Larry on the Cavs and on the Sixers. So now, you know, I think of Larry as this guy that I used to watch growing up. But now I, on a personal level, know he's a good dude. St. Louis guy he has a story you know what I mean and I swear when I'm when I'm running a camp Larry I bet you the same way what's Alan Iverson like what's James Harden like you know what's you know John Wall like that's yeah. the questions we get you know and it's not what's his favorite move it's yeah. what kind of person is LeBron you know and you know those are the stories people want to know yeah for sure and I just there's just two things man just when I talk about you know just being humble and being in that space is that you are above no one and you're below no one, you know, that's, you know, you, you just live by that and trying to teach that and, and, and put that into, you know, not only the, the young people head, but, but an adult, because being humble is a part of being successful. And mm. the other one is you can't make them all, but you damn sure better not miss them all. Right. <laughs> okay. So yeah. just carry that, man. This, you're right. above no one, but beneath no one. Thanks. And Thanks. never going to make them all, but you damn sure better not miss them all. Cause you'd yeah. be sitting right next to me. <laughs> like I'm doing right now, but hopefully I don't I don't miss too many. Uh, you know, obviously you want to want to get back to where I want to be, and you know whether it's Washington, whether it's Indiana, who knows? But you know that's you know there's there's a lot more a lot more hoop to be played, a lot more lessons to be learned. You know that, and um, you know I think if you can try to add something every day, I think you can make something pretty cool. For sure, yeah, for sure. All right, Sam, before we, we let you go here in a little bit, I, I got to ask about one moment. Um, That's good. Hey, um, I, what, are we, what else I got? It's quarantine. I, <laughs> I, I love it, man. This works for me. Um, the, the, the NCAA tournament run, that Kentucky team, 38-0, Devin Booker, Carl Towns. That was – Booker didn't even start on that team. That, that, that was a heck of a squad. I mean, what was that moment like? Like, you know, going into that, you had to think as good as your team was that people treated you like the underdog and – 
Um, how, how did that feel to get a win in, against a team like that? Yeah, I mean, I think I've talked about this game more this year than I have ever, just because March Madness was gone. Um, I think it's, it's crazy. We, we lost to them the year before in the Final Four. Um, obviously, they added Carl, Devin, um, Willie Cauley, you know, those guys. But uh, we had a team that we really – we, like, truly, truly thought we were better than anyone in the nation. And, that you know, that, I think that's something that you need as a team. Uh, we didn't always look the part. Go look at a Wisconsin team. They don't always look the part. We know that. But physically, we were the only team, I think, that could match up with UK that year. We started – everyone was 6'5 or taller in our starting lineup, just like them. We were athletic. We could jump. We could run. And, you know, it's one of those things that we knew we had the experience factor. You know, most of us were in our second Final Four. And, um, and we'd just gone through a gauntlet. We played Oregon. We played North Carolina. We played Arizona. And then we have Kentucky and then Duke. And you think about it, that's the Blue Bloods. And so we, we didn't really care who was in front of us. We had a fun team. And we had a National Player of the Year. You know, Kaminsky was unreal. So we just knew that if we kept it close or if we – you know, through that first punch that we were going to be able to withstand it. And that's what it was. You know, we kind of, we knew they'd make a run. They were young. So we knew if we responded to those runs, you know, that's going to make sure we come out on top. So they, we knew they made the second half run. Then we're like, okay, now it's go time. We had guys that made plays. Uh, we had a lot of talent. So, you know, when you have two talented teams, it's just the amount of who can make a couple bigger plays, especially on a stage like that. And that's what happened. Yeah, I definitely think you guys came out on the on the right side of history. I'm I'm a guy that you know whenever I'm watching you know any sporting event or any you know any any event for that you know for that matter, I'm looking to see history, right? If there's an undefeated team win it all, if there's a you know whatever the, whatever the 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 idea is, I want to see history made. So I guess you guys you know definitely came out you know on the right side of, of history. For sure, and that was our we had a we had a mantra called "Make them believe." It started as a joke. Uh, playing ping pong before games like we had this guy that wasn't very good and he won and we're like make him believe you know that was a big thing. <laughs> and then it turned into your kind of like you know as a college kids the little little quips turned into a thing and it actually turned into our thing like make him believe make him believe make him believe yeah. and because we were just you know a lot of us were darky white guys and you know so we we're just like let's make him believe we, we can hoop yeah. let's show him we can hoop and uh and that turned into our thing and we did uh, obviously, we wish we would have won it all, but uh, you know, if I had a if I had a dollar for every fan out here in Wisconsin that came up to me during the day saying, you know, those two years you guys made those runs were some of the best times of our lives, um, I'd be a rich man. When I think of Bo Ryan coach teams, I think of, uh, you know, not fouling a ton, playing smart defense, running people off the three-point line, being very sound with possessions. What are the biggest things that you kind of took from from years playing for, for Bo? I, you, you hit it on the head, not fouling. It's crazy. that That's a skill. People don't think about that. Not fouling is a talent. We average five fouls a game. So if you're not giving teams 16 free throws, think about all the points you save. And and that's what they said. Uh, Coach Calipari called, like, Tom Izzo, Tom Crean, some coaches around the Big Ten, like, how am I supposed – how do we attack Wisconsin if they don't foul? You know, because UK wanted to get to the line a lot. And – um you know, we were taught, we had off-season drills, just hands back, hands behind your back, just move your feet. And and if, it's weird. We got away with a lot after, like, you know, you play a, a clean first half, you're going to get away with a lot in the second half. And 
And uh, that's, that's kind of our mantra. And Coach Ryan, you know, worked the officials a little bit. And, um, and then not turning it over actually has still helped me to this day. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, if you watch my games, I'm, I, I'm not turning it over. I'm making, I'm making the clean pass. You know, I'll take some risks, but that the, the possession, we learn how much the possession matter. We track points for possession every practice, every game, every day. We went through everything. And, you know, that's helped me in my pro, pro career, you know, not giving up possessions, not to turn it over, getting guys a good shot turns into a skill and, and coaches can count on you not to not to turn the ball over, find a guy in the corner for a three, you know, get a layup. You know, those things kind of help, you know, in, in every possession down the court. So uh, that value of possessions on both ends of the court has helped me, you know, tremendously to this day. So you, you guys were tracking points per possession in practice? Points per possession in practice, dude. That's so high like, level right there. <laughs> yeah, so so if we were under 1.3 points per possession in practice, against scout team we had to run so mm -hmm. he would he, so we would play so our practices weren't crazy but we were kind of be like 45 minutes of live action and he would he would call you over like call the, the starters over and say the first seven first rotation and say you guys need to score six points in the next four possessions to like be above mm -hmm. so we were like okay like you know so yeah so it, it, it was those those reps in practice were uh, points per possession, you know, it kind of translates to the game. You know, don't kick it, don't, don't throw it to the other team, don't take an ill-advised shot. Um, it, it sometimes looked boring, but you know, it was more calculated than people thought. Yeah. We didn't run an offense. We 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 didn't have an offense. We I, I put up a clip a couple weeks on Twitter um, of of this play that looked awesome. It looked really really cool. Like it looked like it was just like fluid, like whatever. I said yeah. this was just uh BSing it we we were just running around we'd cut off each other one guy would flare one guy would we'd run four or five pick and rolls we'd run five three pick and rolls just really random stuff and teams were I ran into coach Izzo uh last year in Detroit and he was like I need to tell you did you what did you guys run I said nothing he's like that's what I thought he said I we couldn't scout you we couldn't scout we don't you have Frank Kaminsky being the point guard on a pick and roll with a two guard, like he's like, there's just no, there's no way that could have been normal, and it wasn't. And I think that's what helped us because we had smart guys. Coach Ryan knew we were smart, and just said, "Go, go hoop, do what you want." Yeah, I think that that's 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 the best way to play a basketball is when your coach gives you a structure, and then you're able to be creative and, and understand, you know, read and react, and you know, rely on what the defense is doing as opposed to exactly what the coach called. So that's. You know, that's big ups to your coaches and giving you guys that structure because that'll help you guys later on in life. For sure. And, and as long as you got a good shot, he wasn't going to get in our way. And we had, uh, I think we set the record for most efficient offense in NCAA history just because we're getting good shots, playing off of each other and reading and react. That's the way you got to play. And you, know, you play like that in the playground growing up. Why can't you do that on the biggest stage? I think for me, one of the things I always seem to notice from from younger players is they seem kind of rushed or the pace of play they haven't really adjusted to yet. But, you know, as still a relatively young player last year for the Wizards, one of the things I liked was you never seemed in a hurry. It was, let me take my time. Let me see the rest of the floor. You know, is that part of coming from that college system where you had the freedom to work through things? And I think so. I think so. And, um, you know, playing point guard my whole life until I grew. Uh, I was six one, and then I grew to six eight within a year. So you know, having those guard skills 
definitely helped. And I will say my early in my career, uh, even when in Houston, when I was, you know, a heavy rotation guy, there's times where I was rushed early in your career. Larry knows that feeling, you know, you, it's bigger, it's faster, it's pro, you know, you, you're, you're going to be rushed a little bit. I remember Lou Williams during a timeout grabbed me and like grabbed my face and he just said, you're wasting energy, relax. And he said, you're moving too much. You're a great cutter, but you're moving too much. And you know how Lou is. He's just so even keel. He said, you're moving too much and you're wasting energy. You're going to be tired in a minute. Calm down. And after that, I was, it, it helped. After that, I got, went to every game, just relaxed, and it helped so much. And you can see the floor better. You can cut better. You can read better. And, uh, yeah, and then once you get you're calm, and I like the way the Wizards used me. They used me as a trailer a lot you know, a 3-4 trailer that I could, you know, DHO into things um, and just kind of use my passing ability. And, and Coach Brooks was good about that. So I really enjoyed playing with with those guys. And I had a good connection with John. I had a good, good connection with Brad, even Jeff Green, another vet that's really smart. You know, playing off those guys is, is a lot of fun. So you obviously married into a sports-focused uh, family. Um, what's, what's that been like being around, uh, you know, people that, that talk the game for a living? It's been cool. You know, you grow up watching Kevin Harlan. You know, he, he's been he's been a legend in the game. He's called a lot of my games, a lot of Larry's games, you know, TNT big games. Um, you know, I actually met him. I knew him before I knew Olivia. You know, he did my games in college and we formed a relationship with meetings and stuff. You know, and and so just a great guy all around. Um, and now it was always funny then in the NBA guys would always be like, your pops is calling the game tonight. They always give me crap about it. You know? So they always, they always had fun with it. And they all knew Kevin uh, liked to gas me up a little bit on TV. But he's the ultimate pro. Uh, and Olivia, too, she's working right now on the phone and hoping ESPN has football this year and, and basketball and all their sports. So it's, it's really fun watching them and seeing the other side of the game, you know, how hard they work and how much work goes into a broadcast. So it's fun. And it's always fun to talk sports with them. And, you know, they have their, they have a lot of influence on, on the game. So it's, it's pretty fun. And, but also getting to know the family and Kevin as, as a father to her, to Olivia and now me. And he's such an awesome dude, like all in all great dude encompassing as, as a family man. So it's, it's, so it's, it's been fun to be a part of it. And uh, I hope, hope they want to keep me around. <laughs> well, you, you sound like a keeper, buddy. So I, I think they'll keep I you. I try, man. I'm, lear I'm learning every day. You know, we all mess up in this life, and but it's you know, wake up and get better every day. That's that's the point. Not as not just as a basketball player, you know that. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, it's clear from this you got some media chops, though. So they better uh, they better look out. You're nipping at their heels. Uh, one day we'll see. Who knows? I always said I got a what did they say I got a a face for radio and a voice for newspaper. So. <laughs> Appreciate, appreciate you for jumping in, you know, and uh, giving us some, some of those good nuggets, man. I appreciate you. No, this has been great. It's always good talking with, with everyone. It's, it's also good. I appreciate it. It's also good not talking about college always. You know, yeah. like, I love the NBA game. You know, I, you know, the past five years it's been pro hoops for me, and, you know, and I hope it's not done. So I appreciate you guys wanting to talk NBA with me and sharing those stories and, you know, re let me reflect a little bit on that, and hopefully we've got more to come. Okay, folks, that's been uh, our interview with Sam Decker. We, uh, we appreciate the time. And as always, you can find us at Believe in Wizards on Twitter, B-L-E-A-V. Um, send us your questions or suggestions for guests. And 
and uh, keep an eye out uh, for Sam on social media too. We'll tag him in this. So, so make sure to follow him. He's a good follow on Twitter and, and Instagram. So, so keep it up. And, and Sam, thanks again for the time. All right. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. Uh, you too, man. All right. See you. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.